2: Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to gain recognition as a great resource for uh, businesses and entrepreneurs, Uh, everything from leadership to sales, marketing, uh, that legal stuff and accounting stuff, uh, most of us would rather someone else handled, Um, no matter what it is uh, around business, uh, we get the experts here to talk uh, with us about um, those subjects so that you can get the answers to the questions you have and do better things in your business. Today is no different. My guest today is David Cicerelli. David is an entrepreneur at heart. For the last decade, David, with the help of his team, has grown Voices.com from the ground up to become the leader in the voiceover industry. As Chief Executive Officer, David is responsible for setting the vision, executing the growth strategy, creating a vibrant culture, and managing the company on a day-to-day basis. He is wholeheartedly dedicated to growing the company, to become a world-class organization, and lead the industry in the digital age. Thanks so much for joining me today, David.
3: Great to be here, Diane. Looking forward to our conversation today.
2: I am as well. And I have a, a huge question that I want to ask you, and it's about being intentional. Would you share with the listeners how being intentional is your key for success,
3: please. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a word that I've stumbled upon maybe a couple of years ago and just really resonated with me and has weaved itself into conversations with our employees and customers and even just providing a bit of context. If we think of business strategy of you know, the, the plans that we have, and really strategy is best defined as a set of choices that a business is going to make, a small business owner or an entrepreneur, it's that set of choices that you make that positions yourself within an industry that ultimately you're aiming to deliver superior financial returns over the long run. Those are the choices that you're making. So being intentional then, Diane, is really, it's about the means of making a decision and then following through on those decisions. So that's what intentionality means for me um, we can talk about some of those decisions, those key decision points. But I think, you know, unfortunately, too often, we either don't realize that we're in the proverbial fork in the road. We really ought to go in one direction or the other. We can't keep straddling both paths simultaneously indefinitely. So therefore, at some point, we need that we come to these decision points, these moments of truth where we need to have conviction be intentional about the decision we're making, not just kind of fall into it, but be intentional about that and then follow it through long enough to see success or reach yet again another fork in the road.
2: Thanks so much for that. I love, this is why I want to ask you the question because I love the word intentional because for, for everything that you just said, we, I think unfortunately what happens is people start businesses and they just go. They just you know keep moving forward and they don't, necessarily stop and think okay where am i going and at is what i'm doing right now getting me there do i even know you know the road i'm going or the direction that i'm going in the place that i want to get to so we just sort of do on a on a day-to-day basis without really thinking about the impact it's having on the future of our business
3: absolutely the uh, one of the best choice frameworks that I've seen comes from a Harvard Business Review article called the Strategic Choice Cascade. Now, I mentioned Harvard Business Review. Don't let that scare off aspiring entrepreneurs or new, uh, new business owners. I mean, this Strategic Choice Cascade um, just walks you through really in a logical sequence. And exactly as you'd mentioned right off the top, the first question in this framework is what is our winning aspiration basically why are we even doing this in the first place and so it voices i have for whatever reason maybe kind of a coming of age in the year 99 at the height of the dot com you know boom my uh, personal uh, aspiration is to become the ceo of a of a publicly traded company on nasdaq i don't know why that's been my thing it it has and so if we're kind of orienting the company around growing to become best in class, to have that worldwide impact, that we would even qualify for an initial public offering and being listed as a, uh, a publicly traded company on on uh, NASDAQ, the technology stock exchange, then that is going to set off a series of other choices. So that is that's how we're defining kind of winning, and of course. Um, that can be different for everyone, but it sets us up for the the next choices um, that we need to make. But that's the very first one. What is your winning aspiration?
2: Oh, that is great. Thank you. It's so because then everything you do points to that, right? You ask yourself the question: Is this moving us in that direction?
3: Absolutely, um, I think it's uh, you know uh, Lewis Carroll. If I'm getting that uh, correct, in the Alice in Wonderland, it's like if you don't know where you're going, you know any path will do. Um, and and so if you if you have that almost endpoint, I mean you know um, the late Stephen Covey talks about starting with the end in mind. Right. Really on this same theme of knowing in, in over the long run where where do you want to end up, and the more you can articulate that. Even it's if, if it's, you know, as I say, it's an, I just have this visualization of, you know, ringing the bell on the stock exchange, um, kind of o- opening up to the, to the public markets. It's just a moment in time, but I think it encapsulates what that looks like um, and having kind of the team of, of voices, employees, uh, you know, all together there in, in that moment to celebration. So if you can, and maybe another way to think about what is your winning aspiration, what is it that you would ultimately celebrate? might be another way to, to frame that up. So if you've got this first decision and you're intentional about driving your, your small business and your, and your, your entrepreneurial venture in, in that direction, then you need to ask yourself, okay, if that's how we're going to win, well then, you know, where are we going to play? What are the boundaries that uh, we're going to play within? You know the, the, the lay of the land, the field, and that could be within a, a particular market, it could be uh, a, to a particular geographic market. It could be in a particular industry. Um, that means that you're, you know, it, it, for every decision you're choosing to do, it also means you're you're as a byproduct deciding not to play in a bunch of other areas, and that in and of itself creates a lot of focus as well. Too, I'm sure you know, Diane, you've been speaking with so many um, business owners that a lot of them struggle with saying no to other. Um, seeming opportunities. Is that, is that fair assessment?
2: Absolutely. And
3: and so this saying I'm going to play in this area and then not play in other areas. And so to kind of bring this home in, in our company, um, we say that where we're going to play is being an online marketplace. That is what we do. We help businesses find and hire professional voice actors. And by saying we're an online marketplace, that means we serve as the, trusted intermediary think of it as like a gig economy type um platform where you would hire a voice actor what that means that if that's where we're going to play what we're not going to do is um sell recording studio equipment or conduct workshops and training to uh raise up the next generation it's just it's not it's it's adjacent but not our core business and and not definitively where we want to play and so these type of decisions that we make um that's actually a pretty big one and then um that kind of leads into if you know where you're going to play kind of the the you know the, the lay of the land so to speak then next up is well how are we actually uh, going to deliver on this how are we going to win in this game and then so this really speaks to you know what differentiates you from, um, from somebody else in your, in your same space, the competitive landscape, um, the, how will we win? It could be on really, what is your value proposition? What are you doing differently? And I'm saying not necessarily better. I'm just, the important point is that you're doing it differently than those around you. Um, and that's why somebody might choose you. It could be quality. It could be speed. It could be cost or price. Um, it could be that you know, you deliver such a high level of service that is um, abnormal to to your industry. You really want to find something, an attribute that is going to be different enough that actually makes it stand out in the crowd. And that becomes the reason why people choose you, which ultimately is the reason why you're going to win in the space that you've carved out.
2: I, yeah, it's so, it's, it really interesting for me because so many people struggle with um saying no making decisions really clear decisions about the things that they're going to focus and concentrate on and and or being all things to all people and so with this being intentional it sort of liberates you from that it makes it easy to say no because really you know it's you're not hurting anybody. You're just saying that just doesn't fit with the direction that I'm going. And right. You know, thank you so much for the question. And it doesn't fit with the direction that I'm taking my business right now. So I have to pass. It just makes it an easy conversation to have.
3: Absolutely. Not only an easy conversation with others, but let's be honest. That's it's, it's an easy conversation with yourself as well, too, yeah. when you're <laughs> stewing over an opportunity or an invitation to um, meet with a prospective customer, if they don't fit, you know, the the ideal client profile, which maybe we can talk on in a bit, but if they don't fit that, you know, as, we, as we're just calling it, the, the direction, that winning aspiration, then you're ultimately going to be better off um, in saying no. And so in this, how are we going to win question, um, just to kind of uh, really simplify this approach, And, you know, I guess alleviate maybe some of the concern over, well, how how would I win? You know, there's so many attributes that I I might be able to win on. Fundamentally, I've heard this said, you know, a few times that it kind of comes down to, you need to be either the fastest, the cheapest, or the easiest to do business with. And often you can, you know, the the rule of thumb is you can pick two of those three, but you can't possibly be all three. And so that was that kind of trying to be all things to all people. You you can really only be, you know, fast and easy, but if you're fast and easy, you're probably paying for it because it's the VIP line you're offering that or some concierge service, that's the easy. Somebody else is doing the work for you, but it's going to cost more. So you can't concurrently compete on, um, you know, the the simplicity and ease as well as um, how cheap and cost effective it is those are incongruent. And so picking fast or cheap as a lead, and then maybe there's a secondary um, that might provide some direction to those people who are thinking, you know, even as a starting point, how can I be intentional Um, picking those will actually have its own series of, of um, you know, just, it it starts to set up that decision-making framework as as we're referring to. And um, so to kind of just close this, uh, this thought off, if let's just say you were to, um, again, pick, we're going to be the fastest service that's out there. Um, it could be, a, you know, in-home service delivery. It could be, you know, preparing tax returns. It could be, you know, you know, the fastest to get back if there's a legal question, whatever that looks like for your own business, then you may need to develop two things some extra capabilities. So you need to ask yourself in this strategic choice cascade, what capabilities must we have in order to deliver the fastest service possible? And then what systems of management might we need in order to deliver the fastest service possible? So it's not just enough to say we're going to be fast or we're going to be easy to work with. Often this is a capability either needs to be an entire Team or a group of people within your company that needs to kind of stand, rise up, and, and, and stand up and lead that charge. And even if you have the people to actually render the fastest service, it might need some investment in hardware or software. Maybe it's a new piece of equipment or machinery, or it could be a new system for automating some process—a software system for organizing and automating a process. So there, you can see how these fit together. But um, I would encourage people to, uh, to, to Google this strategic choice cascade, and there's probably some uh, PDF images on Google Images or something along those lines that you can see um, how these flow and interact with one another.
2: Yeah, it definitely sounds like something that's worth looking at. Now, you said something a minute ago about ideal customers, and I do want to talk about that um, because I do think this is something that entrepreneurs struggle with finding access to them. I mean, I think they have trouble defining them. Um, So how uh, staying on this thing about being intentional, how does being intentional with your business bring you closer to your ideal clients?
3: Well, I think we ultimately all want to make data driven decisions. So there's really two parts to this. Um, If you've been in business for a while. Um, I'll describe an approach that we've used over the last couple years that have been tremendously helpful. Um, And and now if you're a new business and it's a new idea, um, look, you can do a lot of research in in terms of reading articles. I think there's nothing better than trying to um, speak to people face-to-face and conduct an interview um, to ultimately uncover what are referred to as unmet needs. It's a need that, you know, if you have a hypothesis of, I think this is the kind of person that I want to go after because I have a good solution for them. But I just want to confirm or validate that they indeed do have that problem because that is what we're selling. We are selling solutions to people's problems. I just want to make sure that somebody has the problem that I think that they have. So face-to-face interviews are always going to be best. Um, That'll give you what's referred to as qualitative um, you're really conducting qualitative research you're asking a series of questions kind of going deeper and deeper into uncovering these needs problems that they're having and then framing and forming whatever it is that you're selling to meet those needs uh the and and look if you if you don't even kind of know where to start i mean It could be as simple as putting up, um, you know, conducting research by putting up an ad on Craigslist or we use Kijiji up here in Canada, some kind of classified ad type website. Um, The the key is to try to meet people face to face. You might be able to do that through a local chamber of commerce. Um, And if it's, if it's a matter of like, Hey, you're deciding whether or not you want to start your business based upon this initial, these initial findings, um, even providing a modest honorarium of, call it 100 or 150 bucks, um, really just to compensate people for their time. It might take an hour to conduct, a, conduct this interview. But let's think of the flip side. Let's say you do t- 10 interviews, it costs $100 each, and you pay that out to people who've generously given up their time. And you validate, yes, there's definitely something here. That's going to be some of the best. That's going to be the best $1,000 you spent because it set you off in a direction guaranteed they're going to provide you some insight that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. On the flip side, if you, um, you know, spend the thousand dollars by conducting these interviews and you've got to do it yourself. Cause you, I think that's really important. You do that. You, you, you conduct the interviews and you discover actually this isn't really a problem. Um, you know, what you, you discover that people actually have this already solved and your solution isn't, a 10x better. It's a marginal improvement. And therefore, you might find it really challenging for people to switch, or you can talk about price point hypothetically. If if I could introduce this product or service, you know, would you buy? If if there's some resistance there early on, it's better to discover that with a thousand dollar startup outlay than spending probably thirty or fifty thousand dollars a year on just getting a whole business started. And so when we talk about doing research for a new startup, I always encourage um, entrepreneurs I speak with to, in turn, get get out there and talk to prospective customers. Could be going to a trade show, paying for the five hundred or you know five hundred dollars um, to get an entry pass. And just walking across the, sh- the, the trade show floor and more or less conducting interviews. Maybe you have three questions off the top of your head that you want to ask over and over just to, to, to glean some insight. So there's lots of ways where these people are already congregating. If you can't bring them to you through some type of incentive program or you know an, an, an ad that ultimately you're meeting face-to-face, then go out and meet them where they already are, especially if you're in a bigger city. Um, there's trade shows that are happening all the time. So that that would be my, um, my my thoughts and ideas around picking your ideal target market and getting the language that resonates with them for a startup. So if if I may kind of branching over um, sure. to those that might have an existing business, yeah. um, let's say you've been up and running for two, three years, you have some customer information. Um, really, this is the the, again, the process that we used here at Voices was first we, we, as I said, we wanted to make data-driven decisions, but knew that we needed to first prepare the data. You might have a list of 100 customers or 500 customers. You've done business with them a few times, but maybe the data that you actually have on that customer is kind of spotty. You don't, if it's a business-to-business organization, maybe you don't know their full address or you don't quite define what industry they're in. Or you don't even know how big they are in terms of their size or employee count. So you're probably going to need to first prepare the data. And that means how ultimately do you want to segment your customers? You're going to have to probably enrich the customer profile, if you will, that you have by picking things like and what I would recommend. And again, what we use here is what industry are those customers in? Um, And there's lots of there's, you know, the North American classification code. As a list of industries, but you can you can just boil it down to the you know the t- top ten that you know you do business with. Um, but industry size, how many employees or how much revenue they do. I prefer employees to get a feel for how big are my customers because it's much more accessible information. You can type in any company into LinkedIn, and you'll see LinkedIn has like ninety six percent accuracy of the employee count. Um, so you can see how many employees are at that place of business. So it's free, accessible information. So I would go with the employee size and, and then geography, where are you located? Um, it might be, if, if you do serve a local market, maybe that's kind of within your reach, but you may become surprised that wow, I actually have a lot of customers that I do business with in the state next to me, or that are, you know, across the entire country that might, Spur on some uh, some thoughts for maybe a marketing idea or campaign, or that you might need to go visit some of those great customers that are uh, that are a little bit further away, and then lastly, spend um, ultimately you're, you, if you segment by industry size and geography you 're also going to want to know, okay, well, I have customers in those first three buckets, but who 's spending the most, and you can you, know, you should know who your top three customers are your top ten customers are. From there, that's what's going to inform you who that ideal client uh, or customer profile is. And that buyer, uh, that account profile or customer profile can be taken just to, augmented just a little bit further. If you go from, let's call it customer, meaning the, the, and I'm speaking in a business to business um, framework, a frame, if you will, that customer or that account is really the organization that you're working with. But then you can augment that by understanding who is the person buying. So the next level is at the individual buyer, what are the job titles of that buyer? And what we did is we looked at the last 7,000 people that have purchased from Voices.com and looked at their job titles. It was a whole research project. It took well over a month and we looked and we found what is the most commonly word used word in their job title. And we realized it was director, which immediately let us know their level within an organization. They weren't a VP. They weren't a president. They weren't, a, a, but they also weren't an associate. So director was the level. And then we looked at, you know, what are, what are the most common two words that appear in people's titles? And we found actually that it was a creative director. So it could be a creative director at an advertising agency, or it could be a creative director within a marketing department at a much larger organization. And so that's how we went from going, understanding kind of the companies we do business with, with taking it to that next level to know who specifically is doing business with us and saying yes when we ask for that close. So that's how we identified who our ideal customer profile is and the buyer and developer Pretty robust buyer personas.
2: I so appreciate that process. It's so, uh, there's so many things I like about it. It's specific, it drills down, um, the information is available, especially, you know, you've got the information of your own customers, and really understanding who you're interacting with is huge and where they are i loved what you said about you may find out that you do more business with companies that are in the in the state over i mean sometimes we think we know what's going on in our business and turns out we don't we have an assumption a belief system it's not necessarily true
3: we found that we actually done business with customers in 160 countries around the world and that was our first Aha! Uh-huh, that wow, we aspire to be a global, uh, have a global footprint, do business with customers um, and say around the world. But that was the one of the first data points. Um, now, again, it's it's a distribution curve still very much centered. You know, U.S. Um, is about 80% of our business, but that means still 20% of your customers are outside of the U.S. Um, right. So. You know, do we, you know, how can we to them um, either like in their literal language, um, you know, could be Spanish or French or German. Um, we've hired people. That's something we look for now when we, we, we do hiring and sales and support roles of multilingual um, uh, employees. Uh, and because that's a capability that we know may come up with customers, even if that, I mean, that's one in five customers may speak a different language. Um, so that we thought that that was a really interesting data point for us. Um, so you can see how having this, this data informs kind of what you do. Um, right. but that was, uh, that was, that was great for us. And, and, and as you said, it's it's beyond the customer or the organization that you're doing business with the actual person that is saying yes, or signing off on the contract.
2: Right, because they're the actual buyer. you got to mm-hmm. know who that is. Yeah, wow, crazy. Um, I'm going to take a quick sponsor break, and then I have some more questions for you. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on whatever, on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are Two Brain Business 2.0 by Chris Cooper and Strategy Man Versus the Anti-Strategy Squad by Rich Horwath. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth Explore the books that are of interest to you and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Dave Ciccarelli Cicerelli, I'm sorry, about how being intentional is the key to business success. Okay. So talk to me some about fostering the idea of working with intention in a company's employees.
3: You know, the, um, the employees are, um, a stakeholder in your business as well too. Uh, and so the aspect of building a brand or a company, um, and having access to top talent, you know, presumably locally, uh, is, is absolutely critical. They need to espouse the same values that you have, um, you know, really, kind of live that out and they need to understand, um, the direction. And so the way that we've actually been able to, as you say, kind of foster this idea of intentionality with the employees, it, it starts, um, at the outset with how we position ourselves, um, on kind of our careers page in those job postings, and then throughout that entire recruiting process. And so one of the first things, uh, you know, it's, it's we have a one of the first things we do is actually having a interview scorecard that uh, eliminates uh, as much as possible bias or preferential treatment um, and really just gets everyone literally on the same page in terms of evaluating a candidate. Um, that's something we do at the outset. And then uh, there's also multiple interviews. Um, it's not just kind of one, and we, we think that we like you and we'll kind of in, entrust you to, to do a good job. Um, I try to ask really challenging questions about how people have actually lived with intention or with purpose in their own life. Um, and, and it might look like, tell me about a challenging time um, in your life where you knew you had to make a decision of going one way or the other, And how did you make that decision? So really kind of inviting a candidate to relive that experience. Um, So it really starts through that hiring process. Then once uh, you've found a successful candidate, they've accepted your job offer, then um, they're an employee. And so, um, you know, building intention into employees um, for us starts with our employee orientation week, which we call velocity training. And velocity is all about getting people you know, up and running quickly and moving in the right direction. That is really the definition of velocity, speed, and direction. And so a highlight during that week for many is the MBA in a day. And this is where I get to pretend like I'm a business professor for um, the better for part of a day. We actually hire in monthly cohorts. Um, and so there's kind of a new group of, uh, employees that start every month, which allows me, um, admittedly to be, uh, efficient with my time on delivering this MBA in a day, um, session. Mm-hmm. And really in that, that's where we go through the kind of four key pillars at Voices, which is strategy, all these decisions that we're talking about that we that we make this strategy, um, choice cascade, We talk about those choices. Then we talk about execution as the next pillar. How do we actually put those into action? How do we measure our success? Um, Ways to about thinking ways about making those decisions. That's kind of this execution piece. Then we move on to culture and describe culture as the set of behaviors that everyone holds in high esteem. Um, And so we, we, we discuss that we discuss things like, Language, which as much as what you say, as much as what you kind of write and, and and how you communicate with body language, these are all aspects of that set up these cultural norms. And we just have a discussion around that. And then uh, lastly, we end off this MBA in a Day with um, structure. And so what are those um, those behavioral norms? What are the systems that we use? What is the reporting structure? Um you know, we, we, we talk about uh, those pieces. It's, it's a pretty high level, but we get tremendously good feedback on that Um, mostly because it's um, I think it's a good first way, uh, first entry point into an organization. We usually do that on day one, the NBA in a day. And it just, it it, it speaks at a high level about how um, and I think that even running that program itself shows why we, Number one, hire and onboard in groups because research has actually shown that um, people the, the number one pe- reason why somebody would leave voluntarily within the first 90 days of starting a new job is because Diane they didn't make, quote unquote, a friend in the company. Hmm. So somebody can be really smart, really ambitious, but if they just don't click and connect with somebody in that first three-month period they tend to get disengaged and just going to look for an opportunity somewhere else. And so we try to overcome that by forming these bonds early on in that first week. Um, And so that's why we, again, to reuse the term, we're intentional about hiring in a cohort or a group. And then also the nature of how we deliver training is also in groups. So there's shared learning, there's shared experiences, there's a shared lexicon, which again, speaks to the culture of the words that we might use, how we, again, go think and make decisions. Um, it, it, provi- it equips the entire team, especially, as I say, a new employee, um, with those, the, the, those common set of practices that helps them be most successful in that critical kind of first 90-day um, period.
2: Is that do you think if someone's listening and they have have been doing things the same way for a while, but but they're listening to this, is that a difficult change to make? Do you think is that like a difficult um, system to set up, or is there because what I heard when you were talking is it's just this way of thinking about how you know when we onboard, how can we do it in a way that is going to have the maximum outcome, How, you know. So, so for me, it seems like you just have this way of thinking that is very intentional and very strategic. Is that a hard thing for someone to adopt or embrace? Uh,
3: I don't. I don't think so. I, don't, I would encourage those listening to you know one one way to to frame this up and and maybe a question you could ask yourself is. If I weren't present in this organization, our VP of people and ops, she has a great way of saying it, if you won the lottery tomorrow or some other life, a positive life-changing event happened and you decided that you you were gonna move on from the company, maybe you still owned it but you're not there day to day if you know what I'm saying, um, what would you want everyone else to know about how you operate? And this is recognizing that you can't possibly do everything yourself so therefore you need to equip and empower those around you to be able to take the company to that to that next journey. So really what you're doing is actually sharing your mindset and and those and and then they're you know taking from it and personifying it themselves and putting it into practice. But that's how I you know and, and it might sound a little bit flippant but you know I I I do have a, an engineering background. So I've always thought, I'm like, how do I engineer myself out of this business? Or how do I engineer myself out of the process? I do not want to be the bottleneck. I do not want to be the person that that, that slows things down. That And so if I can impart how I might make a decision or how I might frame up an opportunity and share that and communicate that right from day one, Then there's this kind of imprinting that happens to people like, oh, okay, well, that's actually how we, the language you use, it's how we, you know, evaluate an opportunity. It's how we say yes and how we say no. Um, I think that's, that's ultimately why it it creates a stronger organization at all levels. And, and speaking of which, our CFO went through that. Our VP of sales went through that. Um, I, I mean, everybody does right from uh, a new customer support associate, everybody goes through uh, that initial um, velocity training and particularly the MBA in a day so that we have a shared experience and a shared lexicon about evaluating opportunities and overcoming challenges.
2: Thank you for that. And I have to say one one of my favorite things that you just said was, I don't want to be the person who's the bottleneck. I Mm. said it's such a great way of looking at it because, you know, when we own that, when we realize, okay, wait, I'm the one getting in the way of this, it makes it so much easier to get out of the way.
3: And if you're, and, and so how would you know if you're a bottleneck? I mean, if you, if you are so bold, you could ask those people around you if they um, yeah. are willing to give you that candid feedback uh, or, look at your inbox at the end of the day and realize if you've got 10 things day in day out that are waiting on your final decision or approval you're a bottleneck that that should be there should be no things that are coming to you because that just means you're overly operational and overly involved in your business instead of thinking sub, you know objectively kind of almost stepping outside, thinking strategically of working, you know, as they say on your business. Right. And so uh, your inbox and your calendar would tell you right away if you're a bottleneck, you know, we're, I'm having a meeting to uh, you know, to make these decisions or to provide a bunch of approvals, you know, there's a time and a place for that, that, you know, maybe if that's a once a week decision-making meeting on, on key things where there's an agenda of things that are, That definitely need to be decided upon. But if it's every day, your inbox and your email or people are calling you constantly to ask for your, you know, your blessing or your approval on something, that means you didn't empower them enough. You, You need to have some guardrails to say you can make a decision up to a certain point, or you can make a decision on this area. But then check in with me at the next milestone. So that would be, you know, indication that the inbox and the calendar as evidence if you are um, if you are that bottleneck. And then and then I think it's a matter of honestly, Diane, having the 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 willingness and the honesty to say I am. So now how do I engineer myself out of this? And that might mean developing some kind of process map. It might be, as I say. empowering that giving a greater decision making rights to your number two or your number three person the 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 you know who is more in an operational capacity in your organization and you know you can do it on a trial basis and say look both of us are learning here why don't we try this for three months and i'm going to entrust you with this because i do trust you and now i'm going to show you that I trust you by giving you greater decision-making rights. And we'll check in in three months and see how it's working for both of us. Um, And then actually just stepping, stepping out of the way. And so, I mean, I think it's something that every entrepreneur struggles with, but if there's a, if you can systematize it, which I've certainly tried to do um, for everybody in the organization, I think that is a great, great place to, to end up. Maybe the first step is, is looking at your inbox and realize, wow, I'm approving a lot of, purchase orders. I don't know if I necessarily need to approve every purchase order or I'm approving every quote that goes out to a customer for, for business. Maybe I only need to get involved in quotes that are over $5,000 or $10,000. Um, set some kind of parameters. That will help you move out of the day-to-day operational and probably, if I could guess, do more of the things you really want to do, not be approving emails at 10 or 11 p.m. at night.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah, that that that's really great advice. I, I I like that a lot and I um I like this idea of offering to, to make changes on a trial basis so that it it doesn't seem as frightening to everybody, including the business owner. You just Absolutely you do, right, you can do a pilot program, whatever it is, and we'll monitor it and we'll just tweak it or you know, whatever it is so that it's not like we're going to make wholesale change and it has to work. Let's just try one thing.
3: Yeah. And it's, I, exactly. It's, and, and kind of defining, you know, what, what, what is it exactly that we're testing? And then, you know, how yeah. will we know if this is a go going forward or how are you going to say, Oh, that's, it, it didn't work as anticipated. Um, I think that's, uh, that's helpful. The more you can have those upfront conversations, um, Once you've come to that realization that um, as we've been kind of honing in on that as a business owner, you know, you might be that proverbial bottleneck that just needs that needs to be addressed. Um, You're right. It's often the business owner that is, and I can speak as, as, as an entrepreneur myself, that's most concerned with letting go. Um, and so how might you overcome that? Maybe that is a weekly check-in rather than just like three months and let go. Maybe it's a weekly check-in at first, but you got to stay out of it during that week and then, um, right. you know, and, and, and then reenter, but, um, you know, it's, it's a good time to and look at your team probably desperately wants the opportunity for the next big challenge. And so here's a way that you can do it where both of you are feeling good about it and you're, you're, you're evolving your organization together, and you're doing it at a pace that everyone feels comfortable with.
2: One of the things that I like to say to people who have a, a tendency to hang on to things or, or micromanage is um, you hired these people for a reason. You know, supposedly, there, there was something about them that you liked. You thought they had a skill level, you thought they had an attitude that was great, whatever it was, you hired them for a reason. So why aren't you letting them do their job?
3: And and what is the answer often?
2: Oh, it, it's well, yeah. I mean, they usually don't have an answer because what are they going to say? They're not living up to it. Okay, well then you have to let them go. I mean, you. This is sort of. I, I had a woman actually ask me once. So what do you think about micromanagers? And I'm like, okay, from the from the viewpoint of the micromanager or the viewpoint of the people who are being micromanaged, because I can give it to you both ways, right? It's not good. It's just And then later I, someone said to me, well, you know, she's a micromanager, the one who asked you the question. So I I don't know if she thought she was going to get justification for it, but you know, they, people don't have an answer for it. Part of the reason I asked the question is to get them to stop and think, okay, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm doing their job. Okay. I don't know why you need them.
3: And if you're doing their job, then I agree, that's, that's a non-starter. If you're providing input and insight to help them see how you would do it if you were to actually do their job um, as an option or an alternative or to provide some feedback, mm-hmm. I, I know it's a fine line, but it's, it's the difference between kind of doing it and then advising on yeah. what alternatives could be possible. Right. I think there's that that's helpful, especially as you say, both sides need to build up trust and and frankly confidence the uh, right. you know a, a, a rising star in your organization, that employee that's taking on these new responsibilities actually I found um, at, you know at voices that people's confidence really builds in those first couple times of just affirming them to say that was you guys made a great decision on this one. Uh, you know, in our world, you use data, you validate it. You know, you started off with a hypothesis, you use data to validate that, and you made a decision. So I, I tend to kind of tease out or draw out those um, steps in the process that mm-hmm. were. Ex- I mean, look at if I were to do it, I would have followed the exact same thing, and right. you got to the same conclusion all on your own. So you got this one the next go around.
2: Yep. Yep, exactly, right, it, it, there's, there's a mentoring and, a, and an educating that goes on that's very different from yes. micromanaging, Those yes. are two very different things, yeah. Yeah, exactly, so um, what about, let's talk about the financial end of things um, briefly. So when we're being intentional how, how do we, I mean, you know, I sort of feel like I should know the answer to this, but how do you financially grow a business while still being intentional about where you're going?
3: Well, every company is going to need to get access to capital. Absolutely. Um, we want to grow our business and that means we're going to need cash. And so cash is going to come from three sources cash from customers, which was where most of us really should start or do start and, and frankly ought to start because that means that you've built something or you've developed a capability or a skill that somebody else finds valuable enough that they're willing to pay you for it. So cash from customers is your first source. From there though, once you, you know, realize some initial success, you're probably going to want to grow bigger or faster or hire that first employee or, you know, get another truck for your uh, service uh, based company, whatever that may be, you're probably going to need to move to the next stage, which is cash from banks or financial institutions where you're borrowing the money. And so usually that's either to, you know, to buy some kind of asset or for working capital, but you know, this is now cash in the form of debt that ultimately you need to pay back. And so, um, that will get you quite a long ways. And those first two are the best places to start. Absolutely. Um, at voices I've shared a few times, our first loan, um, was just some, I mean, after initially selling to, to some customers, our first loan was to carry out a marketing program and we took out a loan of $30,000, uh, eventually, um, paid that back. And we, you know we acquired a lot of customers uh, with that thirty thousand dollars, and then we got a fifty thousand dollar loan and paid it off early uh, and then it was a hundred and then two fifty five hundred and then our next loan was nine hundred thousand and then finally a two million dollar bank loan and These were not to buy you know a, a manufacturing facility or a fleet of vehicles. this was really working capital, meaning cash to fund a growing operation. And that um, will, as I say, will get you so far where you may need to um, resort to that third and final way that you're going to get cash into your company, which is from investors. And this is where you're actually now selling a portion of your company, uh, a stake in your company, to investors who uh, you know, buy in effect stock in your company. You're gonna sell a quarter of your company for $250,000 and now they own 25% uh, uh, of, your, of your company. So those are the sources um, of cash. They each have a time and a place. And when we kind of tie this um, notion of being intentional I would I would advise to go in that order of cash from customers then cash from banks and then cash from investors and align it with the stage that your company is at very few investors are just going to hand you money without some kind of track record of customers and some good financials over a customer years uh, over a couple years banks similarly aren't likely to lend you money until there's a track record there, or you're buying real estate or, you know, some kind of property plant or equipment, some, some, uh, some other type of asset. So you kind of need to start from cash from customers. And if if you think about it that way, you're not, um, you're not holding yourself back when it's kind of time to go to the investors. Like we did at voices.com after 2 million, I think my, my, you know, my Partner and and, uh, dear wife Stephanie, you know, looked each other in the eyes and said, "I don't. We don't think a bank's going to lend us five million dollars to grow the company to the next level, Um, or even more than that." It was really the 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 time had come where we needed to sell a portion of the company to Mm -hmm. investors, and um, a couple years ago. So I mean, we bootstrapped the company from our founding year in 2005 to. Uh, 2017 just a couple years ago and then um, and that's when we actually went on a roadshow to to raise money from investors venture capital and kind of private equity firms ultimately uh, raising 18 million dollars from Morgan Stanley expansion capital so Morgan Stanley a global investment bank and this was their um, technology investment group in San Francisco Silicon Valley so we, we we got there at the but it was the right firm at the right time and we actually had criteria and we had a lot of discussions about who would we want to work with. We define that ahead of time, um, being intentional about that and not an ideal customer in this case, an ideal investor and who would that look like? And they are on our list. And so that's who we, it seemed like a very natural fit. Um, once we, we met the team there and uh, were successful to bring that home.
2: Wow, I, that's so great! So it's, I just love that intentionality of that. That it, it is really um, so great. Um, so I, I just I have to tell you, I really appreciate this information, David. I think it's so great to see how no matter what aspect of your business or stage of your business growth, wherever you are how important being intentional really is for um, getting, for being successful and, and getting where you want to go. So I, I thank you so much for uh, joining me and and sharing that information. Will you let the listeners know um, how they can find you and, and what you've got going on over there at Voices?
3: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure um, sharing about this, what I've learned, um, the ability to tell some stories and, and really just share what I've learned and other people have taught me over the years. Um, if anyone listening wants to get in touch, you know, LinkedIn is a great place. Um, David Cicerelli, you can find a uh, full kind of spelling there in the show notes. Um, I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn. Uh, also um, on Twitter, uh, same thing, uh, at David Cicerelli. For the company though, the website is just voices.com voices.com. And um, and then we're at Voices on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can uh, read all up about the company and get to know us a little bit better there. So uh, that's how to get in touch. And hopefully we can uh, make some new connections.
2: Terrific. Thank you so much. And listeners, boy, I really hope that you were um, really paying attention to this episode. There's a lot of great information in here um, about not just the importance of being intentional, but how to be intentional as you're going through your business growth. Uh, and I would like to thank our sponsor, Audible.com. To get a free trial of Audible.com as well as a free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com/businessgrowth to sign up. Please continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day.